Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to The Television Archive. The show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved medium. My name is Thomas Michael Clark, and this is The Americans. Today we will be discussing Season 1, Episode 3, titled Gregory. Okay, so much to discuss with this episode. Like, not only is this a very good standalone story, but at the same time, uh, it also plays a pretty significant role in setting up certain dynamics that are going to play a much bigger part as the series goes on. Uh, First off, This is the episode where we get introduced to Claudia, who's essentially the Jennings' handler uh, throughout large segments of this show. Uh, She introduces herself initially as Gabriel's replacement. Uh, Gabriel was uh, their previous handler, and now they're going to take orders from her directly. And I love the way she makes herself known to the Jennings. Like, uh, to Philip specifically. Like, Philip and Paige are just sitting down, having a nice meal, uh, having a conversation about how trashy the magazine Paige's reading is. And then Claudia just sort of butts into the conversation randomly, and Philip's like, What's this lady's deal? And then she tails them later and reveals herself as their new boss, essentially. Uh, But it's a very good introduction. Uh, I like Claudia. She's a good character. Uh, Played very well by character actress Margot Martindale. (laughs) Uh, If you don't watch BoJack Horseman, you did not get that joke. But just watch BoJack Horseman. Uh, because they refer to her as character actress Margot Martindale exclusively. And it's really funny. It's a really funny bit. Uh, but Claudia, very good character. Very good introduction. Uh, of course, the titular element of this episode, uh, we are introduced to Gregory. Or Gregory, as mainstream would pronounce it. I'm going to call him Gregory. Because I'm a rebel. I'm not going to call him Gregory, but it was a funny bit, just to say that I would. (laughs) Uh, So, we're introduced to Gregory, and we see sort of this weird dynamic that he has with Elizabeth. Uh, So, apparently, uh, Elizabeth and Gregory met way back in the early days of Elizabeth living in America with Philip, and... She recruited him, she made herself known to him, and they kind of had a bit of a thing going on. They kind of had a bit of a thing going on for many, many, many years. Gregory, in addition to being decent support for some of Philip and Elizabeth's ops, uh, was also Elizabeth's side piece, 
essentially. <laughs> she just sort of went there to get it on every once in a while. And it was all good. Uh, but now, as we're kind of seeing in this first season, at the point of this show's events, Philip and Elizabeth are kind of slowly, like, falling in love for reals. It's almost like this weird reverse love story where, like, uh, they met, got married, had kids, <laughs> live in a house together, have a great life. Then they fall in love. <laughs> because they're KGB people, and KGB is weird. Uh, but because of this, we also have this very bizarre love triangle happen. And normally I don't like love triangles, because I think more often they're not. They're just lazy, melodramatic shorthand. They're just like, oh, crap. We're not, uh, I'm not a good enough writer to create tension or dramatic weight. And I'll just do a love triangle. That'll instantly get people to care about my totally nothing narrative. Like, usually I don't like that. But this is different. I enjoy this one because it's so bizarre. It's so unique. It's so strange. To watch play out. Like, this is a love triangle between a woman, her fake husband, who she's slowly following, falling in love with. Her fake husband, who she's slowly falling in love with. And her side piece, <laughs> who she was in love with, but now is slowly falling out of love with in favor of the fake husband. And the, the point of contention between these two men is not, I want this girl, you can't have her. It's, hey, dude, look, everything you've been living is not real. It's all a lie. It's all a cover. Like, let her have, let her have something real. Uh, Gregory goes on this whole monologue about how Elizabeth told him once that she couldn't live that lie. And he gives the amazing line, if you don't love her, let her be. And if you do love her, let her be. Let her have something real. And Elizabeth also gets kind of pissed at Gregory because Gregory's kind of saying all this shit to Philip to kind of hurt him or uh, get back at her or whatever his motivations are. There's the slap, which I found very, very satisfying. And meanwhile, Philip is just really pissed that his partner and fake wife, who... He has never lied to about anything over the past decade and a half. Just suddenly, like, he just suddenly figured out that she was lying to him. As they're actually falling in love for reals 20 years into their mission. 
Like, it's so great. It's so phenomenally handled and weird and just bizarro. And I love watching it play out. It informs a lot of Elizabeth's character and how she's sort of struggled with what she wants versus what the mission demands. Uh, we've seen a lot of this with Philip, particularly in the pilot, where he talked about defecting probably and then didn't do that. Now we're seeing the Elizabeth side of things where she sort of flirted with the idea of running away to be with this other dude who she actually had an instant connection with instead of living this fake life and then eventually decides to live said fake life as she is slowly falling in love with Philip for the first time. Uh, it's really well done. It's really well done and absolutely fantastic and I love everything about it. It's so good. Like, it takes this really tired, frustrating narrative trope and rejiggers it to the point where it feels entirely new and just strange enough for me to be genuinely fascinated by it. Also, uh, before we get into the main narrative bits of this episode, I want to very quickly mention... Uh, the greatest racquetball game of all time <laughs> that happens between <laughs> between Philip and Stan, where Philip and Stan are just going nuts on the racquetball. Uh, Philip's just flinging wildly as Stan's trying to be strategic. Philip at one point hits the racquetball directly into Stan's back. <laughs> it's just it's fun to watch. I enjoy watching Philip and Stan just go at it in racquetball. And then Stan having to leave for work. And just having... Them just having this banter. Like, almost like two normal neighbor friends. Until you realize, oh wait, this is an FBI agent and a KGB operative. <laughs> There's nothing normal about this interaction. <laughs> uh, but of course we have the main driving force of this episode. Where. This. This one operative. This one colleague of Philip and Elizabeth's. Uh, who we saw in the opening sequence of the first episode. Uh, turns out he left a bit of a mess behind. When he was killed. And, uh, he has a wife and a child that he was not supposed to have. He got secretly married and, uh, secretly had a kid. And both, uh, both Philip and Elizabeth, via this ad placed in the newspaper, and Stan, via Nina, all of them sort of converge on this one lady and her kid. Who have no idea what's going on. Who have no idea what the hell is happening. They have nothing to do with any of this. And this whole storyline is a freaking travesty. And it is brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. Like it is, did I say travesty? I meant tragedy. It is a tragedy and it's brilliant. 
Uh, I love the whole sequence of the KGB, well, specifically Gregory's people, uh, Gregory's people extracting her. I love the methods they go about where they just cause as much chaos as possible, creating this blind spot, creating this choke point where Gregory can just pull her away uh, from the FBI surveillance team and get her to a safe place where she can be questioned by Philip and Elizabeth. And I also love, like, the entire rest of the episode is just Stan and Sitwell from the Marvel movies just going around and being like, man, uh, we really don't know what the hell we're doing, do we? Oh. Oh, crap. Like, they, they have no idea. At some point, they think she is a Directorate S operative. Like, they just have no clue, and it's... Strange to see them, like, sort of dance around what happened while also being so horrifically wrong. But anyway, they have the wife, uh, they're having these conversations with the wife, and any time Philip and or Elizabeth talk to the wife, literally any time they sit down with her, it is heartbreaking. To watch. And the dialogue they exchange with her is absolutely magnificent. They're having these conversations with her. Where they have to break to her that her husband's dead. And she's asking like, what is this? What was he doing? Was was he, was it drugs? Was he dealing drugs? Was he a drug dealer? What else could it be? Like all the... The, the late nights, the calls on payphones, the cash. Like, what else could it be? And they're like, oh, phew, she knows nothing. Thank God. <laughs> and then she ends up knowing everything because she kind of puts two and two together like, oh, I saw him listening to some strange radio and writing numbers down on some notepad uh, he he told me he was doodling but it didn't look like doodling he was a spy and you sort of see this look you sort of see this look on Elizabeth's face of oh crap <laughs> we're screwed now as soon as she Puts it all together. And, and Gregory keeps being in the background like, we gotta kill her, we gotta kill her, we gotta kill her, we gotta kill her. And Philip and Elizabeth are just so conflicted about it. Because on the one hand, it is the quote-unquote sensible thing to do in this scenario. But on the other hand, this is their friend's wife. This is their friend's wife who would want her to be protected. Like their friend who would want her to be protected. So they're kind of caught between their own, like, their directive. They're caught between, like, the on-paper correct thing to do and the emotional hard place they're in. And none of the options are good. Like, either they do a disservice to their dead friend or 
they risk blowing themselves. Now, meanwhile, while this is happening, you have Philip going to uh, their friend's contact about some plans for a thing that could that could render their nuclear arsenal useless, uh, that could render their the Soviet Union's, could render the Soviet Union's nuclear arsenal useless. Sounds an awful lot like the ballistic missile shield that we heard about in the last episode. So Philip goes to this contact, and this whole meeting sequence is so awesome. Like, Philip just sort of goes in, and is like, yeah, I have this money, uh, I need these plans you got. Hey, asshole, you want to get out of my blind spot? Oh, you're not going to get, you're just going to be a dick. Okay, I'll beat you up with the briefcase that I'm holding, and have money fly everywhere as I'm doing it. Like, it's so, so good. But he gets those plans, and and now we've come to a decision, uh, we're going to relocate them. To Cuba. So they hand her off to Claudia. Uh, They give her the plans as well. And it's such a nice moment where you're like, oh, thank God, they're going to be okay. Oh, thank God, they're going to be okay. Claudia's like being all nice. Like, oh, you're going to love Cuba. Uh, You're going to thrive there. And it's going to be so nice that we could have your... We could have your family come because it's pretty close. Like, it's such a nice moment. And then the ending happens and you're like, man, that was never an option, was it? This ending, oh, it's so gut-wrenching. It's really hard to watch as you sort of are shown little pieces of how the Soviet Union just screwed this woman. So... They killed her. They killed her. Made it look like an overdose. And then sent the child to his grandparents in the Soviet Union. Oh, your son is a hero. And he'd want his grandchild to live with his grandparents where he belongs. Cut to the mother, and she's just dead. She is dead and forgotten, and it pisses me off. It pisses me off so much. Like, it's such this emotionally resonative, impactful, brilliant ending, and I love literally every single thing about it. It's so, so freaking good. Uh, But yeah, this is a great episode. This is a really, really great, really fantastic episode. I mean, by now you're sort of seeing one of the few issues I have with season one where early on it feels very repetitive, but honestly, each episode is so good on its own that that's a minor nitpick at best, and I'm really, really loving going back through all of this, because it's like... It's classic Americans. I get to go back and see how it all started and see how the show evolved. And for a show that I freaking adore as much as this, like, it's such a treasure to go back through to the early days where 
they weren't quite as bold as they got, but still very, very bold. Still really remarkable and unlike anything else at the time. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. Anyway, if you like this, favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archives so that you can be here every single Monday through Friday as I go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcatcher app you prefer. Feel free to call in as well. It's as simple as just a push of a button on the Anchor app. I'll play those on the show from time to time if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, TomTom4468, and support the show. Patreon.com slash Thomas Clark. Pledge just a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. Or... If that doesn't work for you, you can also support the show directly via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Uh, Tomorrow we will be discussing Season 1, Episode 4. Talk to you then.